Any fans of uh, Parks and Recreation? NBC, Channel 4, Thursday nights? I mean, I don't watch it on Thursday nights because I can't stand the commercials, so, you know, tape it, DVR, Hulu Plus, whatever. You guys know Jerry Gergich? Jerry Gergich, he's a character on the show. Jerry's the worst. He's the worst. Uh, Jerry works at the uh, Parks and Recreation Department, and uh, he is just the worst employee they could possibly have. He, all he does really is just file, and he has like two files, a red file and a blue file, and he puts everything in one and everything in the other, but he still makes mistakes. I mean, how can you mis- mistake red and blue? It's, it's binary, man. How can, you, how can you make a mistake? Not only that, he he's, has terrible timing. Everything he does is bad timing. So, you know, all the other people in the office, like, they're about to celebrate um, a big political victory, and then they find out that they've lost, and Jerry bursts in the door with a celebratory cake. Everyone's like, Jerry, get out of here. They're really mean to him, and rightly so, because Jerry's awful. Worst possible employee. And on top of that, he's not attractive. He's old. He's irrelevant. Played by David Bennett. Yeah, Jerry Gergich, what a guy. And if you're watching the show, you just see how everyone else treats him. It's, well, he's a government employee, so we can't fire him, right? He's there for life, but yet we have to put up with him. And so the other people in the office, they make his life as miserable as possible. Anytime he speaks up, they're like, Jerry, shut your mouth. Anytime he makes a mistake, they're like, Jerry, Jerry Gergich, come on, man. You guys know, he's that guy in the office. And then there's this one great episode where everyone in the office uh, has to go to to Jerry's home. He's sick or something, and and they need to find out some information that he knows. I can't remember exactly, but they, they, they have to go to his house. So they get in the car, and they go... And they pull up and, you know, it it's a, looks like a nice place. You know, the lawn's manicured. You know, it's, it's not huge, but it's, it's nice. And they, they knock on the door and they open up and there's this beautiful woman. Like, gorgeous. You know, she's around Jerry's age, but she has age. She's gotten better. She's like fine wine. She just gets better with age. And she's gracious. And she, oh, Leslie, you're Leslie, right? I've heard so much about you. And gives her a big hug. Welcomes her into the home. They walk into the home. It's unreal. This is Jerry's house? It's perfect, beautifully and yet tastefully decorated, and and it's so warm. It's like you walk in and you already feel like family the moment you step in the door. And then, and then, his three daughters show up. They're grown, but they're, they're, they're just as beautiful as their mother, just as gracious, just as wonderful, and one of them's bearing a tray. Leslie, would you like some brownies? They're freshly baked. What? This is Jerry Gergich's house? Oh, yeah, the roast isn't done yet, but why don't you stay for dinner, Leslie? It'll be wonderful. We love having, we love having company here at the Gergich household. Well, this is impossible. How can it be that this guy, who is the most bumbling, incompetent, useless, horrible human being in the world, can have this home? It's almost like, it's almost like there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the office, where Jerry is, he sticks out like a sore thumb. He, he is, he just doesn't fit the office. They can't get rid of him, although they'd like to. They're counting down the days to his retirement, you know? But they can't get rid of him, and yet, and yet he has to be there, and he's, he's just awful. 
And then there's this completely other world that they're totally unfamiliar with, and they walk into it, and, and, and it's, like, it's like putting on a glove. Jerry is, he is the center of something beautiful, something perfect. He has at home what everyone wants. And time and time again, his coworkers, they, you know, it's one of those shows where it's like supposed to be kind of like a reality show. And so they'll look and they'll talk to the camera. And time and time again, they look in the camera and they're like, what? Wait, how is this possible? Gergich? And his family, they, they treat him like a prince in the house. Uh, Jerry, here's your robe. You know, here's your pipe. Sit down, have this wonderful meal. And they're looking, this is Jerry Gergich. How can this be? Jerry's the same guy, but in one place, he doesn't fit, and in the other, he's perfect. There's two kingdoms. And today, we're going to find out that Jesus outlines who are the Jerry Gergiches and who are the co-workers. Jesus is going to outline for us, he's going to explain to us, teach us, what kind of people fit into the kingdom of God and conversely don't fit into the kingdom of the world? There's a kingdom of the world and there's a kingdom of God and if you fit in one, you're a terrible disaster in the other. You can't fit into both. You're Jerry Gergich. Either the office is perfect or either the office is terrible and home is perfect or you're like one of the coworkers where the office is home and there is no other home. They're two kingdoms, and you can't fit into both. And so Jesus is going to give us the markers of the kind of people who stick out like Jerry Gergich at the office in the kingdom of the world, and yet who are home, home, home in the kingdom of God. Let's stand and read the text together. It's Luke 6, 20 to 26. Then he lifted his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed, happy, joyful are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. And blessed, happy are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Oh, but wait. Woe, calamity, disaster to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe, calamity, disaster to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe, calamity, disaster to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and you will weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their ancestors to the false prophets. Please be seated. This is the beginning of what's called in Luke's Gospel, the Sermon on the Plain. It's parallel to in Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount. And so you'll notice that both of those begin, Matthew's uh, Sermon on the Mount and Luke's Sermon on the Plain, with a series of blessings. Blessed are you, blessed are you. But Luke's is a little bit different than Matthew's. Luke's focuses on four types of people. Well, really eight. Eight pairs, eight parallel pairs of people. You'll notice in, in, in verse 21, or verse 20, there's the poor. And then you'll notice in verse 24, there's the rich. You'll notice in verse uh, 21, there's the hungry and the weeping. 
And then down below in verse 25, there's those who are full and those who laugh. And then the final pairing, you'll notice, is those who are hated, excluded, reviled in verse 22. And then the converse, the parallel to that, those, to, those who, who are spoken well of, those who are accepted. And so there's these, these, these parallel pairings. There's the poor and the rich, the hungry and the full. There's the weeping and the laughing. There's the rejected and the accepted. Well, how are we to make sense of this text? Um, it's a very strange idea, right, if you think about it. Um, just a few chapters before in uh, uh, Luke 4, um, Jesus has stood up in the synagogue, and, and, G- and uh, Neil told us about this a few weeks ago. He stood up in the synagogue, he unrolls the Isaiah scroll, and he says, you know, this, he, he reads it, and then he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Right now, this has been actualized. And it has things like uh, the captives are going to go free. Um, you know, the, the, the blind will see. The lame will walk. It has all these, these, uh, these oracles that are being pronounced. And Jesus says, today this starts. But if you're reading with Luke, and you've been here for the last several weeks, uh, months really, uh, you'll notice that everything that Jesus says, it doesn't actually happen. Jesus says this, you, this is fulfilled in, in your hearing, and then he goes and he starts doing some stuff, but nothing that he does takes place in that text that he said is fulfilled. It's a very strange, very strange uh, situation. And so we wonder, Jesus, were you even right? Did it even happen? He says, he, he, he stands up before the people, he unrolls the scroll, scroll, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, okay, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, which we sang about today, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled, inaugurated, actualized as you're listening to it. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. When Jesus reads the Isaiah scroll in chapter 4, he inaugurates the kingdom of God around himself. It's started. It's happening. The acceptable year of the Lord is now. But then look what happens. He goes, the first thing he does, he exercises a demon later in chapter 4. Then he heals, or in chapter 5, and he, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. She, she's sick, has a fever, and he heals her. Then he calls Simon Peter, gives him a great catch of fish. We talked about that. He forgives a paralytic. There's a paralytic, he's on the ground, and Jesus goes up to him and says, Son, your, your sins are forgiven. He also helps him walk. He calls a rich dude, Levi. He breaks Sabbath laws to let people eat and be healed. You'll notice a theme with all the things that he's doing. None of them match up with what he just said. if you take them literally. And that finishes out that note in your sheet. But the things he does afterwards do not literally conform to the prophecy. It's almost as if literally conform to the prophecy. It's almost as if when Jesus is reading the Isaiah scroll, he's not saying, he's not looking at the word poor, 
and saying, well, I'm going to go talk to only poor people. It's not as though he's thinking, well, I'm going to set captives free. And then he literally goes to jails, kicks down the door, and lets captives out. It's not as though he, uh, although I think he will, literally find blind people and give them their sight. Liberty to those who are oppressed. He doesn't literally find people who are you know, oppressed by their government and then give them a revolution and set them free. He doesn't literally do any of those things. And yet he's able to say, this is fulfilled in your hearing. This happens now. Yeah, on any literal reading of the scroll, Jesus has pretty much just failed. I mean, have we even seen any poor people that he's talked to? You know, Simon Peter, he's, you know, lower on the spectrum, but as we saw, he's upwardly mobile. The guy owns a boat. Levi? Levi's rich. So what's going on here? Jesus is looking at these texts, and he's identifying, not literally people who don't have money, people whose, right now, their bellies are not full, people who are, you know, literally crying as we speak, people who are literally rejected right now. He's not finding those people. He's, he's setting up a class of people. He's saying these are the kinds of people, the people who have these symptoms, who are likely to find themselves in these circumstances, these are the people I'm looking for. And so we have it. If we, if we, start, if we look at this text, right, and we think about uh, the Isaiah scroll that he said is actualized, and then we look at the things he's done, we can maybe get a sense for what he means when he says someone who's poor. What he means when he's talking about the hungry. Who he's identifying when he talks about those who weep. And those who are rejected. Well, I suggest to you that poor means disadvantaged radically. Somebody who, uh, for whatever reason, doesn't have the same opportunities as everybody else. Someone who can't climb their way up to get where they want to be. So it might be, and and very often is, people who literally don't have money, but it can be a lot more than that. It could be people who are um, disabled. That's someone who's poor. Because they're not able, in this culture and in this society, to go anywhere. They're stuck at the bottom. The hungry. The hungry are the people who are looking for something that they just can't find. There are people who, whose bellies are empty. Maybe their hearts are empty too. And they're searching, seeking for something to fill them up, and they just can't get it. Wherever they look, they grasp at the wind, and they cannot get a real, sustentive meal. The, the crying. When uh, Luke uses the word laughing, he's probably... Um, using laughing, not to mean like, oh, Tom, good joke, man. <laughs> not that kind of laughing. The kind of laughing he's probably talking about, the weeping and laughing, is the, <laughs> hey, Buffy, <laughs> look at me. I've got it under control. I'm the guy. I'm the one who uh, is at the top. And you, peon, you're below. And the person who's below looks up and realizes, I'm never going to get there. This isn't a cry because I'm sad, although it is that. It's also a cry of despair. These are people who have no chance to change where they are in life. They are utterly hopeless. 
And so they cry and they wail before God, saying, I have nothing and I can't get anywhere and I can't do anything. And look at these other people who walk by me. <laughs> You're awful. The rejected. Well, I mean, actually this one is pretty close to being literal. The people who are just hated, reviled. It's Jerry Gergich. He can't do anything right. People who don't have a place in this world. People who are outside. Typically, uh, in this culture, it's going to be people who are rejected and reviled because they're not religiously right. They don't fit in the pews on Sunday. They're dirty. They sin. It's a symbolic world. And there's two types of classes. There's the Jerry Gergiches, and there are his co-workers. There are the poor, hungry, weeping, and rejected ones. Those are symptoms of a problem that all of these people have. And Jesus is saying, when you're with me, it all gets flipped upside down. You'll notice that he, he, he does talk, you, you weep now, you're hungry now, you're poor now, you're rejected now, you will be these things. And so we might think, we might think that, oh, Jesus is just talking about something in the future. This is just future-oriented, doesn't have anything to do with now. He's talking about heaven, right? And I want to suggest that that's, um, that's not, not quite right. Uh, first off, we already know Jesus has said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's already claimed that the kingdom is now. Maybe not full, maybe not complete, but it's now. And then when we look at the stories that are told, it's not like Jesus doesn't do anything. Jesus is changing lives radically with signs and wonders. He's, com- he's creating a completely new community. Something is happening. Something is afoot. This, you will be, uh, the kingdom of God is yours. You will be filled. You will laugh. Uh, you will be um, uh, welcomed, accepted. Those are promises that are beginning to happen in Jesus' ministry. This isn't just next life. Hang in there. And then the rich, the woes. I, I, I mean, right? We're all in America, so we'd better hope that uh, rich doesn't mean have stuff and that we're all in trouble. There's no hope for us in the kingdom. That better not be the case. And, and we have good reason to think it's not because look, Levi, he's rich and yet he's welcomed into the kingdom. So rich must mean something else. Full must mean something more than just not hungry. Laughing must mean something more than ha, ha, ha. Being spoken well of must mean more than just being popular. And in this symbolic world that Jesus is creating, the people who are rich are the ones who can do it. They're like the people in the office who, when you say, hey, uh, Donna, um, I need you to, to, to contact uh, this vendor because we have a, you know, a party coming up in the park. Can you take care of that? And she says, yeah, no problem, Leslie, I got it. Done. That's the rich. The ones who are filled, those are the ones who've already found what they need. They've got it. They, they, there no needs left. It's all under control. Everything's here. The, the big hole in my heart. There's no big hole in my heart. I'm fine. The ones who are laughing are the ones who are at the top of the heap. The ones who are spoken well of are the ones who have all of the things that you need to succeed in this world, this kingdom. 
And so there's a, there's a question. All right, fair enough. Jerry Gergich. You know, he doesn't fit into the kingdom of the world. He fits into the kingdom of God. He, he has all these symptoms. You know, he's, he's the, the poor guy, the hungry guy, the, the crying guy, the, the rejected guy. Th- those are symptoms, though. What's the fundamental problem? What is it about Jerry that makes it so he doesn't work here, but he's perfect over here? What does it take to be a kingdom kind of person, a kingdom of God kind of person, and not a kingdom of the world kind of person? Why is it that some people are poor, hungry, rejected and crying, and other people are rich, full, laughing, spoken well of? Why is that? What is it about these people? What at the very core of these people makes them like that and not like this? I want to suggest to you that the answer to that question is found in the response of the people in Luke 4 after he proclaims that this has been fulfilled in your hearing. So I think, I think it's 420-something. I don't have it written here, but Jesus stands up and he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the people... It says this, uh, it says, So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Grace. What's grace? I sometimes think that um, in my life, maybe the most tangible way that I see grace is uh, the way that particularly my parents and my wife treat me. I'm uncouth. I'm not a great person. And yet, and yet I find, especially my mother and my wife, I'll I'll be going through life and something will happen where they just, for no reason whatsoever, they just lavish something on me. You know? Erin's at the store and she's looking and she's like, you know what, I think Tom would really like that and brings it home just because. Uh, One day I go home, my mom says, yeah, I just ordered this off Amazon, thought you'd really like it. I need something. And before I even tell them I need it, they, they find a way to provide it. They just, they just know me, and they know what I need and what I love, and they just give it to me. And the thing that's so weird about it is that despite the fact that I'm still me, they do it over and over and over again. They give with no strings attached. It's free. There's nothing I have to do to earn it. The kingdom of God is made up of people who need a gracious invitation. It's people who are at the end of their rope. It's people who don't have recourse to their skills and their abilities. It's people for whom the bad luck never stops. They're not pretty or charming enough to make the rounds at cocktail parties. They look deep within themselves and they find something wrong, something that can't be fixed. They weep silently and alone because they cannot see their way out of the pit they're in. And there's just no hope. To these people, Jesus says, you are invited. No strings attached. You're loved. Period. 
oh, you know what? I, I didn't want the stuff that you had, Jerry. I don't need it. Your riches, your food, your hope, your acceptance. I'm just going to give those to you. That's it. No requirements, no ticket stubs, no price, nothing. You have wandered near and far. My friend, welcome home. The Jerry Gurgiches of the world are the people who need grace because they can't do it themselves and they know it. And so when the people hear Jesus say, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing, they say, those are gracious words. Because there's nothing they've done. They haven't made this happen. Jesus showed up on the scene and said, done. Here it is. Enjoy. And now he says, happy are you. You people who are poor and hungry and weeping and rejected. Because you're the kind of people who don't have another way out. And I say, it's yours, all of it. The kingdom of God. You're filled now. There's no more weeping now. Now you're not rejected. You're welcomed in. There's a new place for you, my friends. And there are no strings attached because if there were, you'd be, you'd be out. You'd be Jerry Gergich. You don't have what it takes. And that's okay. You're the kind of people I'm looking for. The ones who don't have what it takes. Martin Luther, uh, great story. Uh, Martin Luther, <laughs> so he, he preached, I remember as a, in college, I read uh, his uh, commentary on Romans, and I, I was just filled with like this just incredible sense of, of God's grace. Uh, it was my freshman year of college, and I was, you know, down in the library, uh, we had these really uh, old yellow, um, it, really, it was clearly decorated in the 70s. Um, and I was, I was down there, and I was reading, we had a copy of, of his commentary on Romans, and I, I was filled with, for the first time, maybe not the first time, but filled again with this total sense of freedom, of liberty. Like, like God just did it, and there's nothing you got to do. And I, I rushed out of the library, and I, this was going to change everything in my life. Right? Because now I know that it's not on me, so I can do whatever I like, and I can, you know, kick this person in the face, and I, I get, Tom, fun time for Tom, because I'm free. Well, the, actually, the same reaction w- was had by a number of people uh, who heard Luther's preaching in the, uh, in the, the, the 1500s. Uh, the peasants. The peasants would go to church, and they heard this, you're free from the law. You know, freedom. And the peasants were like, sweet! Because we're tired of being slaves. And so they, you know, they had a revolution. They, they took up arms, and they decided to throw off their, uh, or the, what are they called, the feudal lords, right? And so there was a, kind of a bloodbath. And, uh, and, and everywhere they would go, they, w- they would say, freedom, freedom from the law. Luther said it. And so Luther looks at this situation, the whole culture is falling apart. There, there's war and, 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 and rebellion and destruction, and he's like, ah, this is not what I intended. And so he writes this, 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 this letter to the peasants. And he says, look, guys, guys, there's, there's two kingdoms. Right? The one I'm talking about is the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, everything's lavished on you. You're utterly free. The problem is, guys, that when you're not in the pews, when you go out the door, you're locked into the kingdom of the world. And in the kingdom of the world, the values 
and, and, and the, the instructions and the principles of the kingdom of God don't apply. Well, I mean, this is... Luther's just telling us what we already know, right? I mean, you, you go to work, and you try to, try to succeed as Jerry, right? You, you try to succeed as just, you know, well, you know, I got nothing, but here I am. Accept me. See how that works for you. See how that works out. That's not going to be good. See, here, when you, when you leave this place, when you walk outside, when you go out there, and, and you step into the kingdom of the world, I mean, honestly, where does your value come from? You're the sum, ultimately, of what you can do for other people. You're a piece, a part, a cog in the market. And don't think for a second that I'm you know, slamming the United States or capitalism, because this is the same thing that happens in every single human kingdom that has ever been. Because human kingdoms are ruled by the world and the world's principles, and the values of the kingdom of God have no place. Yeah, when you're out of here, what, what your value is is fundamentally about who you are, how fast you can do things, what you're able to accomplish. There's nothing graciously free out there. So Luther, he, he just put up a barrier. He said, he literally said this. It's actually very troubling when you read it now from our perspective, especially as Americans. He was like, yeah, peasants, um, I want you to uh, say you're sorry and go back to, uh, you know, working in the fields. Because the world out there, the values of the kingdom don't apply, and they can't. There's no way. It can't work. And Luther, he, he really actually thought, I mean, it's one of the things I disagree with most in what he says and thinks, that we should just, we have our personal kingdom of God where we talk to Jesus, and then as soon as we go out of that, as soon as we get out of the church, it's, it's just war. We just abide by the kingdom of the world as much as we can. We, we play by their rules, and we just wait until Jesus comes back. Very, very dark, very dark uh, vision of what the world is like. And we know intuitively that that's wrong, that that's not quite it, because we know that the Spirit does actualize the kingdom. The Spirit has done things in our lives that turn the world upside down. We have seen in our lives people who were poor become inheritors of the kingdom of God. We've seen the hungry filled. We have seen the weeping turned into laughing. We have seen those who were rejected welcomed in. We've seen Jerry Gergich go from the office into his home. We've seen it happen. So we know, we know that Luther's not 100% right there. We know that the kingdom of God happens and fits and starts wherever people are surrounded by Jesus and empowered by his spirit. We know that it happens. And yet we also know that it's not filled, it's not full, it's not done yet. And we're still waiting. We also know that, as much as we would like it, this church isn't purely the kingdom of God. No institution can be. We know that even this place, which was inaugurated, started by the Spirit, founded upon kingdom upside-down principles, even this place gets corrupted because it's filled up with people like us. We know that there are two kingdoms, and we know that those two kingdoms are at war within us, as Paul says. Paul looks and he says, I don't know why I do what I do. God saved me from this body of death. Each one of us here has the war between the kingdoms inside of us. Each one of us here has a part, a beachhead, a launching point where the kingdom of God has jumped in because we were people who needed grace. 
We were in some way poor, in some way hungry, in some way crying, weeping, hopeless, in some way rejected. And we cried out and we said, God, we've got nothing. I've got nothing. And God jumped in and established a a beachhead, a bulwark, right inside of our heart. He saved us. And yet, and yet we know from our experience that inside there's another war going on, a place in our life where we're rich, where we're filled, where we laugh, where People speak well of us. That inside we have places that are not fit for the kingdom. And because that's the case, this place too is two kingdoms waging war. I skipped over. The blessings and woes are structured as four parallel pairs in your note sheet. I'm really sorry about that. Four parallel pairs. And below that, the common thread uniting those fit for the kingdom of God is that they long for a gracious invitation. They long for a gracious invitation. There's a, there's a, a call that's very popular amongst uh, theological ethicists today. And they say this, they say, and this is in your notes, Dear church, be the church. Be the church. It's a strange calling. It's simple and profound, and yet it forms the eternal struggle. Struggle with which Coast Bible Church lives until our Lord returns. Because we are people that have two kingdoms at war within us, we will always be a part of an institution that has two kingdoms at war. Remember, when we think about what um, poor and hungry and, and weeping and, um, and rejected mean, it's setting up a class, a class of Jerry Gergich's, people who have no recourse, who need a gracious invitation, who need grace, People like that have kingdom values. They fit in the kingdom of God. And every one of us here has experienced that in some way or another. We've been those people. And yet, at the same time, there are parts of our lives where we're rich, we're filled, we laugh, and we're spoken well of. There are parts of our lives where we don't need a thing. We're still self-sufficient. We've still got it under control. We still know how the world works and we still succeed wherever we, you know, encounter it. And those two things are constantly butting up against each other. And so when we say, be the church, what we say is look inside and find the places where you're rich and fat and happy and change them, identify them and destroy them, give them up. Look, de- it's, it's deceiving. Your heart is deceiving. Look inside, Tom. Tom, where is it that you're a winner? Where is it that you've got it under control? Where is it that you don't need God? That's the kingdom of the world, Tom. Open that up and give it to the kingdom of God. Tom, you don't, what you need is a gracious, free, accepting invitation. What you don't need is to do it yourself. Because that doesn't work in God's house. Kind of a downer, friends. At the core of who you are, you are people of grace. You are people who have received that gracious invitation. You're people who, when you look back, you see your life, and you're just Jerry. Everywhere you went, you couldn't do it right. And you got to a point in your life where you said, this sin, this addiction, it's too much for me. 
You got to a point in your life where you said, this, I got no hope here, and I can't win. You got to a point where you were right on the edge, and you lifted up your hands and said, save me. And the God that you saw said, you've been loved. Welcome home. I don't need anything from you. In fact, I'm going to give you everything you need. Friends, reach into that place. Shine that light on the kingdom of of, of the world, wherever you see it. Let's structure this place by those principles. Let's make this the place where Jerry Gergich comes home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sought us out when we were lost, sought us out when we had nothing to give, when we were poor, when we were hungry, when we wept hopelessly, when we were rejected by the world. God, you came in and you welcomed us home. You said you've been loved. We are loved, God. We know that. We know that we come to you as people with nothing who have everything. God, I pray that this place will be a place where the kingdom of the world has no foothold. That the kind of people who are here, who are at home here, will be people who have nothing. And just accept your gracious, free invitation, no strings attached. We are blessed, God. You have proclaimed it, and it is true. In your son's name we pray, amen.